The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Dugout Nation, Casey Cavell, host of the Dugout CEO. Today, we are joined by Keith Madison. While serving as the head coach at the University of Kentucky for 25 years, Keith amazed over 730 wins and has been inducted into three separate Hall of Fames. Former head coach, chairman of the American Baseball Coaches Association Board, national director at Score International, and publisher of Inside Pitch Magazine. Keith, welcome to the Dugout CEO podcast. Casey, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, likewise. And uh, you have a heck of a journey that I wanted you to share with Dugout Nation. And uh, just talk to me. Let's start maybe as a five-year-old kid or a little leaguer. How did you go from that, Keith, to a Keith that won 737 games at the University of Kentucky? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a really interesting journey, at least from my vantage point, because I, uh, I, if I go back to five years old, I was living off of a gravel road about a mile off the main highway that goes through our rural county in South Central Kentucky. And uh, it was very rural. I mean, we, when I, at that time, we did not even have plumbing in our home. So we were a very poor family. And I remember vividly one day walking to the left on that gravel road, we had some neighbors and they had some older boys and they were poor, just like us. Everybody was the same in that area. Uh, usually these guys were out working. They were either, uh, using a cross saw or chopping wood or just doing something like that. But this particular day they were playing catch. And I remember as a five-year-old watching this, I want to say 11 year old and 13 year old throw the ball back and forth and listen to that leather pop and just watching that baseball sail through the air it was it was amazing to me and I remember thinking I want to do this but I didn't have a glove I didn't have a baseball I had an older brother that was two years older so I told him about it that night when my dad got home from work we said hey we want to we want gloves and a baseball and he he did it for us we <laughs> we didn't have a lot but he he was good enough to purchase a couple of gloves and a baseball for us. And so every day my brother and I were throwing and, uh, and then see, he was seven. Then just a few years later, uh, this young guy by the name of David Webb, uh, he had heard about us. He knew us somehow. And my older brother was a strong kid for eight or nine years old at the time. And so he, he recruited him to be on his little league team. And my brother said, he said, yeah, I'll do that if you'll let my little brother play with us. Well, I was only like seven years old, but I got to be on the Little League team. We didn't, it was, it was so rural. We didn't really play, I don't think, in a sanctioned league. We just called it Little League. We had about six teams in our entire county. So, uh, I, you know, I didn't get a hit the whole first year, um, but, but David Webb stuck with me, and he would let me play. Uh, as much as he could. And then the next year he figured out that because my brother and I had been throwing so much, I had a pretty good arm. He put me on a mound. And so the rest of my little league time, I was, I was 
this sounds kind of arrogant, but I don't mean for it to, but I, I was throwing gas to these little league hitters. Didn't know where it was going, but it was hard. And I think, I think the fear factor was the best thing I had going for me because they, they just didn't want to dig in. So, uh, you know, that, I, I, and then as I got and became an older little league player, I st started playing, uh, you know, shortstop, third base and pitching. And that, that went on into, into the Babe Ruth league, the next level. And then I started playing high school baseball, which was a blast. And, uh, I was one of those kids, Casey, when I was playing little league, when I, when I would get up in the morning, we were the Cubs and I would put that Cubs uniform on first thing in the morning. And I would look at every cloud in the sky, just praying that it would not rain. I just could not wait to get to that baseball field. So I, I've had, I've been passionate about the game for a long, long time. That's great to hear about your journey in baseball. And it sounds like you've had a deep passion for the game since your early days. And I'm curious, could you tell us a bit more about your experience transitioning from playing high school baseball to getting called up to AAA at the age of 19? So about the end of June, I got called up to AAA from a short season 18. I was in AAA. I, I was 19 years old. Uh, Part of that was because Montreal was a new organization back then. Now they don't even exist. That shows you how old I am. But they, um, yeah, and, and then it was also during the Vietnam War. So there were a lot of guys that were in the National Guard that were in baseball at that time. They they would join the National Guard so they, they didn't have to give up their, you know, two years in their baseball career. So I uh, I got to pitch a lot. As a matter of fact, I probably pitched too much. And so I did okay in AAA, but at the end of the season, uh, came up with, uh, a really sore elbow and just kind of swollen and tender. Went to spring training, the following spring training. This is my third year in the organization. And, uh, I did not throw well. As a matter of fact, my velocity was down about, it was down about eight or 10 miles an hour. It was just, it was pathetic. So they, they hung in there with me throughout spring training, but at the end of spring training, they released me. They thought I was done. So obviously I was crushed. I felt like and by that time I was 20 years old. I felt like I has been at 20 years old and it was, it was devastating. And I remember after being home for about two weeks, I couldn't sleep. I mean, I was just, it was, you know, I felt like my life was over. So I get up in the middle of the night one night and, uh, I noticed that. My mother, where she was sleeping, the, the light was on in the bedroom. I could see it under the door. And so I don't know what it was. I don't know whether God was like leading me to her or what, but I knocked on the door and she said, come in. And as soon as I walked in, Casey, I just started crying, man. I, I, I probably hadn't cried in five years and I was just bawling because I felt like this dream was over. So my mother prayed for me and, uh, when the next morning I said, mom, I'm going to call Larry Doty. Larry Doty was a scout for the Cincinnati Reds and Larry, uh, I knew him and I said, Larry, you know, gosh, I haven't pitched in three or four weeks. The, the Expos gave up on me. I feel like I've still got something left in this arm. And so he said, Hey, meet me at Bowling Green high school at. 12 o'clock tomorrow and I'll watch you throw. And I said, that is great. So I was pretty pumped about that. 
So I go down there and, uh, Larry opens up the trunk of his car, gets about six or eight baseballs out. I've got my glove. He gets a catcher's mitt and he catches me. So I'm on a high school field, uh, just, just throwing the arm felt really good. And so we threw for about 15 or 20 minutes and he tossed his glove aside and he said, Hey, the Reds want to sign you. So does he have a, a radar gun in one hand and his he just he just knows because he can feel the pop. Yeah, he just knew. He just knew. Um so yeah, I mean it was I can't tell you how how fired up I was that I was going to get to play for the Reds. First of all, I grew up a Reds fan. And then I felt like my career was over and all of a sudden I get new life. And so um that's that's how I got into Reds organization. So I make it I signed, I'm with the Reds for a couple of years and, and I'm throwing the ball pretty well. Uh, the, I led the Florida state league in, uh, appearances and saves one year. And I, I get a triple eight contract with Indianapolis. Uh, that's when the Reds were in Indianapolis at triple A. And so I'm getting in the best shape of my life. I'm going to make that triple A team and I'm going to be in the big league before the years over. I just feel it in my bone. So one of the things I did to get in shape during the off season, I played basketball and the games were rough. I mean, they were pickup games at Diddle Arena and Bowling Green and there were some good players there. And I came down for a rebound and, and felt, felt something horrible and heard a pop and I had torn my ACL in my left leg, my landing leg. So I had to call the Reds and say, you know, we're, we're about six weeks away from spring training i'm calling them and telling them you know i'm gonna have to have surgery on my leg and back in those days casey it was basically you know acl injury was was it it was career ending but i really tried to come back i was actually limping in spring training and and really couldn't do a whole lot and ended up halfway through the summer in double a in, in uh, three rivers quebec and just to be honest, was never the same. I had some good games, but also had a lot of games where my knee was swelling and I couldn't feel the bond or I couldn't cover first base. It was, it was not good. So I get released, but this time when I got released, I had just gotten married and I felt like I had a, I had a life. Yeah. So, um, I, I decided, uh, and, and also that later that year, after I got released, I graduated from Western Kentucky university where I had attended school during the off season. And, uh, so, you know, my wife, Sharon and I were trying to decide what to do. I said, you know, I know more about baseball than anything. And maybe, maybe I'll just teach and coach. So we go down to central Florida and uh, I had a cousin down there and he hooked us up with jobs. And, uh, I was, uh, my first year, I was a social studies teacher, assistant basketball coach, assistant baseball coach. The next year I was head baseball coach at the, at, at Lake Wales high school. And, uh, then I got to know Ron Polk, uh, the legendary, uh, coach who was at Mississippi state university at that time. And he invited me to join their program as a graduate assistant coach. So I'm a grad 26 year old graduate assistant coach, Casey, forgive me for talking so much, but I'm just, I'm just kind of rolling with, with how I got to Kentucky, if that's okay. I love it. I love it. Okay. So, uh, so we have a good year at Mississippi state coach Polk turns the pitchers over to me. So I'm like the pitching coach, 
there's a guy named Mark Johnson, who was the head assistant coach who eventually became a Hall of Fame coach at Texas A&M. So I'm working under two outstanding baseball minds and I'm learning a, a ton. So towards the end of the season, we're getting on the bus to go to, I think we're going to Auburn. And uh, Coach Pope said, uh, hey, did you hear the Kentucky job? So and I said, yeah, you know, I think I heard something about that. And he said, won't you send in your resume? I said, coach, I'm 26 years old. He said, hey, send in your resume. I'll make a call for it. So I did. Didn't expect to hear anything, and I didn't. So meanwhile, I'm interviewing um, for a junior college job at Illinois. I get offered a junior college job, that junior college job at Illinois. And on the way out of that town, I asked Sharon, I said, I'm, I'm fired up. I'm going to get my own program. I'm going to be coaching college ball. And I said, hey, did you like it here? And she said, you mean you liked it? I said, yeah, they got a new feel. It's going to be great. And she said, there's nothing here but corn. And I thought, hmm, she's followed me around all over Florida, you know, following my career around. I'm going to, I'm going to take this as, as a side from God that I don't need to take this job. So I didn't take it. So we were staying at my parents' house at that time. And so I told my folks, I'm not going to take this junior college job, but I'm going to call Cliff Hagen, who was the athletic director at the University of Kentucky. I told my dad, I said, I'm going to call him and see if that job's still open in Kentucky. And Cliff Hagen, Casey was, he's an icon here. He was a, he was a three-time All-American in basketball. He was an all-pro in the NBA. He, he was the man. And, and now he's AD at, at UK. And my dad just couldn't believe I was going to call this famous basketball player. So I did call him and I got through to him and asked him if the job was open. And he said, yeah, it is. Can you be here at 10 o'clock in the morning? So I drive from Brownsville, Kentucky to Lexington, about two and a half hour drive. We have a great meeting. Uh, I was a little nervous, but it, it went okay. And then he flew me back up a week later for an official interview. And when I got back to Starkville, where Sharon and I were living, as soon as I walk in the door, the phone's ringing and I pick it up and it was Cliff Hagen offering me the Kentucky job. Wow. I, just, I couldn't believe it because first I'm of all, 26, 26 years old. Yeah. 20, I didn't have that much experience. I mean, I coached two years of high school ball and one year under Ron Polk and had what, some. What, what, what do you think it was in the interview or was it that call or that reference that got you a head coaching job at Kentucky at 26? I'll be honest with you. I think it was a couple of things. I think it was, I, th I think it was Ron Polk recommending me. I think it was my audacity to call him and ask him if I could talk to him. And third, it was such a terrible job at the time. I think he knew he couldn't get a, a, a you know, a more experienced coach. He, he didn't want to pay. He didn't want to pay uh, anybody to coach. So I was, you know, I was willing to eat pork and beans and, and get the program going. So. <laughs> But after I got that, this is, this is fascinating for me, but after I got that phone call, I, I hung up the phone. I go in and tell Sharon, Sharon, I just got offered the head coaching position at Kentucky and I took it and she started crying. And I said, why are you crying? She said, I'm pregnant. We're pregnant with our first child. And I found out the same, almost the same moment that I got the job at Kentucky. I, I almost had a heart attack. It was almost too much to take in. So, uh, anyway, we, we, we go to Kentucky and, uh, 
you know, they, the year before they broke the school record for losses in the first year, we broke the school record for wins. In the first year you were there, you went from most losses to most wins university. It was amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm only four years older than my first baseman, but Casey, somehow we just, that team came together and, and I, I didn't get to recruit anybody. Really. I was there too late. And they, they were so hungry to win and they were so hungry for a fresh start. And we really had a good year. We, uh, back then you had to finish, you had to finish in the top two in the, in each division to go to the SEC tournament. There were only four teams. So we qualified for the SEC tournament. And, um, but how, how'd you, how'd you do it? Do you remember like the first meeting and the actual things that you did in practice and the. How did you actually do it? I remember exactly how I did it. It, It's been a long time ago, but I remember like it was yesterday. When we had that first team meeting, this was in the summer of 1978, I had never seen my players in person. You know, I talked to them on the phone and actually talked one guy out. He was going to sign with the Giants, and I I said, hey, come back for one more year, and let's, let's do something special. So anyway, these guys are coming in, you know, They've got long hair. They're wearing, you know, bell-bottom jeans. They look like, they look like Crosby, Stills, and Nash or Creedence Clearwater Revival. One guy even carried his guitar in. And I'm going, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Because when I was at Mississippi State, man, Coach Polk had everybody looking. You know, they looked like the Cincinnati Reds. They were clean cut. They wore their uniforms a certain way. And I... And I come into this situation, these guys, I mean, they look like rock singers. They really did. But we hit it off. I, I, I just don't, I really don't understand it. I, everything, everything I told them to do, they did it. And they even did extra. Uh, what do you we, think it was that you told them to do differently than whoever was there before? Because obviously you did something different to change the same group of players into guys that lost to guys that won. What do you think it was actual because I'm sure there's people that are listening to this call. Maybe they're a new head coach, or maybe they're a business owner, or they're a business owner, and things aren't going the way they want them to go, but they want to change the culture. They want to turn the losses to, you know, profits and losses to wins. Like, what do you think it was that you did? Yeah, uh, I, I think it was a couple of things. One is I really, really stress fundamentals. Uh, coach Polk at Mississippi State had this, he had these defensive drills that we did. He, they were called the fundamental drill series. And they were really fast. Like, you know, you'd be at one station for three minutes and then another station for three minutes. And we did about, we could do about 18 drills in half of the practice time. So we did those so often, these guys became so confident that they could execute. And then the second thing I did was uh, we had a lot of fun because I think I was so young, uh, they were always asking me about my time at Mississippi state, or they were asking me about what was it like to play in the Reds organization, or they were asking, you know, and, and I think it was a camaraderie, but they knew, they knew where the line was. They knew that if I said, Hey, Randy, I expect a little more there and he would give me more. So it was a mutual respect. I respected them. They respected me. And it was a, I think it was a communication thing. I think we communicated really well. Uh, I mean, I even had seniors invite me over to their apartment for dinner. It was, and, and I, and I remember calling coach Pope because he was a, 
he was a very business-like, he had a very business-like approach to the game. And I said, coach, do I need to do that? And he said, you know, I've never done that, but I don't see why you can't. And so I, I would, I would go over to their apartments and they would, they would serve, they would serve me what they were eating, spaghetti or, or whatever. And so he, he won one way, you won a different way. Yeah. I, and I realized Casey that I can't be Ron Polk. His style is different than my style. He is the master of practice organization and his guys are so skilled and so organized that they, they feel like they're better prepared than any team. So when they, when they would show up at a game, they expected to win. And, um, you know, we, I took, I took, I tried to take that part, the organizational part, but I had to use my personality. My personality is completely different than coach Pope and it worked. Uh, so it, you know, that worked for him at Mississippi state, this worked for me. And then there were other coaches in the league, like Skip Bourbon at LSU that did it a different way. His was more of a, he was a brilliant coach, but he, it was more motivational. Uh, so everybody had their deal. Hal Baird at Auburn was more, uh, he, he, he almost had a professional approach to his, uh, game management, his practices, because he spent so much time playing professional baseball. Uh, so I had to, I had to figure out what worked for me. And I, and, and at the beginning, to be honest, I, I tried to be Ron Polk and it didn't work. And by, you know, two weeks into the end of the practices, I thought, man, I'm just going to be myself. Got to do it. Got to yeah. do it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I didn't really think about it this way at that time because I really wasn't walking as close to the Lord as I should have been. But looking back, it was like, okay, God, you have, you, you gift everyone a certain way We're we're each uniquely created so Casey your strengths might not be mine and vice versa but we each have a role to play and I had to figure that out it was a lot of fun yeah and so you had your strengths you knew what you were good at did you surround yourself with other people that you know to help with all the things that you didn't love to do or you weren't good at what did that look like that's a great that's a great question I one of the best things I ever did was I hired a young guy by the name of John Butler, who had been a graduate assistant at Mississippi State the year before me. Well, my strength was pitching and, and probably game management and um, that sort of thing. Whereas John's strength was base running, outfield play, hitting. Uh, he was a hitting guy. I was, I was a pitching guy. He was, he was a, an offensive minded guy. He really could teach offensive skills, whether it be hitting or base running. And our outfielders were so fundamentally sound. He was more like Ron Polk than I was. So we were a good fit together. And we worked together for, I don't know, 12 or 14 years. And it was great. He, uh, I, you know, I knew he was going to handle the hitters and I was going to handle the pitchers and and I knew those guys were going to be instructed well. And, um, I had a lot of confidence in, in helping guys develop change-ups and command the strike zone and all that. So we were a good team. I love it. I love it. Most people that are listening to this show, they're a leader at some capacity. They're a coach, they're a business owner, they're, they're leading their family. 
what advice do you have for the listeners here on leadership? And I guess, what is leadership to you? And then how does one become a great leader? Yeah, I mean, leadership, uh, it, just like John Maxwell says, I mean, it's, it's influence, right? And everybody has influence in, in, in some circle of influence. You know, it's whether it's your family or whether, it, you know, you might be uh, a sales manager or you might be a CFO or a CEO, or you might be a head coach or a principal. And so we had these spheres of influence. And so first of all, if you're in those positions, you already have the influence. Now you just got to hone your leadership skills. And this is, this is, I, I think maybe a little bit unconventional for some of the listeners, but I learned this as I, as I grew in coaching and leadership is I found out that if I, if I had a struggle in a certain area, for instance, if if I was having a problem with a certain player, I would pray for that player. And prayer to me is the most underrated tool that any leader has. I'm not saying that there aren't leaders that do it. I'm sure there are a lot of great leaders that pray. But if you're not praying for the people that you have influence over, you're missing. First of all, you're, you're, you're missing a great opportunity to draw closer to God. But you're also missing an opportunity to really connect with the people you work with. Even, even the people whose personalities might turn you off a little bit, maybe, and maybe even you don't like them. If you start praying for that individual, God's going to change the way you think about them. And that person is going to change the way they think about you. It's, it's almost like a, it's, it's almost like a pyramid where Casey, you're on one bottom of the line I'm on the other. And then God's at the, he's at the apex and God changes people's hearts. He changes people's attitudes. And if you haven't tried praying for the people that you're struggling with, I highly recommend it. You don't have to be mother Teresa. You don't have to be Billy Graham to, you don't have to be Andy Stanley to pray for someone. All of us have that incredible opportunity to communicate with the creator of the universe. It's, it, it, it's incredible. Hey, thank you for that. I think that's going to be my biggest takeaway. There's probably four or five others here. I need to go through my notes and see if I can summarize these. Um, you know, as we end here today, where are you spending your time now? Talk to me about what you're doing professionally, uh, in ministry and baseball, all that kind of stuff. So. I minister to coaches now. That's, that's, that's my, that's my number one thing. And I, uh, I have about, I have about 450 coaches that, that I stay in touch with. I know it sounds crazy, but four, I, I stay in touch with them four or five times a week. I send them text messages in groups of 10 and, uh, they're usually, uh, maybe a short motiva a motivational message or it, there's always scripture. Uh, there's all, there's usually encouragement or a challenge. It's just a very short text message. And then I, those guys respond to me and I've developed some incredible relationships doing it that way. Um, and, uh, it really, it's really been rewarding. That's great. How would a coach or a leader get in touch with you, learn more about you and what you guys are doing? That'd, that'd be great. Uh, I would love for. Uh, coaches and leaders to get in touch with me. Uh, 
The best way I think is by email, uh, Keith at scorebaseball.org. Got it. We'll put that in the show notes for sure. And yeah. And then if they're, if they're interested in, in maybe being a part of this text message, uh, devotional that I do each morning, I would love to reach out to them and, uh, and, and have them be a part of that. Sign me up for that. I'm going to email you right now because I want to be in on that. And that sounds amazing. And Keith, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I know, uh, our listeners are going to be blessed with, uh, with your story. Casey, thanks so much for having me. All right. Thanks, Keith. Dugout Nation, Keith Madison, what a winner, Hall of Fame coach, and no wonder why he was able to have such a fantastic career both on and off the field. And here are my big three takeaways that I learned from Keith. He talked about how to make a transition in life from one thing to the next. No matter what, transition is challenging. And just because you are good at one thing, it doesn't mean you're going to be good at what you're going into. So in order to transition from one thing to another, make sure whatever you're transitioning into, it plays to your strengths. Surround yourself with people that can compliment you and people that can speak truth into your life and coach you up. And don't try to be somebody you're not. Have your own style and stick in your lane of genius. Number two, this is how he took a losing program and made it into a winner just in one year. So he was the head coach at the University of Kentucky, and he went from the most losses in the history of the school the year before he got there to the most wins. And he did it by one thing, stressing the fundamentals. His team did the small stuff well, and he did it consistently. If you handle the small things, the big things will take care of itself, and they had a lot of fun. They were very deliberate with the way they practiced, and they got the fundamentals right. And when they did the fundamentals right, they had a great time. And number three, your network is so valuable. You have to have a great network because you never know what it can do for you, and you never know when you might need something from somebody else. But be sure to be a giver and not a taker. Add value in people's lives first and don't expect anything in return. Because when you need to call in that favor, you don't want to be the person that's always calling and asking for help. Put the interests of others above your own and you're going to have a great network. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP of what you do. Sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to CaseyCavell.com or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app.